Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Good morning, you guys. Welcome. It's good to see you. It's good to see you here. We're, um, we're in a series, uh, as the, the title uh, explained there, we're in a series called Chronic Search for Peace, and we are talking about peace today. I wanted to give you a preview of a couple things that we're gonna, we might delve into today. We're going we're gonna to talk about sea monsters. It's going to happen. And we're going to talk, uh, we, might, we might experience the wisdom of Jedi Master Yoda today. We're going to talk about proportion bias. It's one of my three favorite biases to talk about. And uh, we're going to talk about why the Earth is round and not flat and why that matters. And uh, some of you are just finding out about that right now. It is, it is round indeed. Um, and we're going to hear about what the Apostle Paul has to say about practicing good mental health. You might not have known that the apostles talked about this in their writing, talked about mental health. They used different words than we use for it, but they did talk about it. So we're going to do all of those things today, but first, first, we're going to play a rousing game of, is this the name of a church or a weed shop? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the, the way this game works is it works on the honor system, okay? Um, and we're going to show you the name of an establishment, and you have to guess, is this the name of a church that exists here in the United States of America, or is it the name of a marijuana dispensary? Yeah, yeah, this is happening. This is happening right now. All right, so let's see the first one. Let's see the first one. It's called Relief. Here it comes. Any second now, it's going to come up right behind me there. All right, there it is, Relief. Is that the name of a church, or is it a marijuana dispensary? Anyone? Have a guess. Yeah, you know what? Good. You guys are off to a good start. That is a church. It's a Methodist church in Virginia, right? But how about, how about if you just tweak the spelling a little bit? Um, how, yeah, what about the relief, huh? Any guesses? Any guesses? Yeah, yeah, that's a dispensary in Vallejo, California, of all places. How about this one? Um, this, uh, this next one, anyone? Dream Center? Dreams. <laughs> yes, this is a church actually uh, in Phoenix. Um, but how about this? How about this next one here? If you just drop the word center, huh? Dream City, huh? Anyone? Oh man, you guys are wrong. It's a church. It is actually a church. Yeah. How about you just go down and just, just dream? Just dream. What about that, huh? Anyone? Any guesses? Yeah, you're right. That, that, is, that is a marijuana dispensary in Detroit, Michigan, actually. I like this next one. This next one's in Florida. Take a guess. And that's pretty succinct, huh? Cool. I, I want to go somewhere called Cool. That, that is a church. That is a church. It's called Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about this next one? Oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah, very local. Someone's like, do I have a receipt from there in my pocket right now? No, no. 
Uh, yeah, that's, that is a local dispensary. I know the owner. He's actually he's a nice guy. Um, so uh, how about this next one? This is in, this is in, uh, this is somewhere. Greater Revelations. Huh? No, that, that's a Baptist church, y'all. That is a Baptist church. I do feel inclined to write them and tell them that it's, it's pronounced Revelation, right? It's not, yeah, right? There's only one Revelation, right? Uh, how about this next one? Yeah, how about that one? Yeah, no, no, dispensary. That is a dispensary in Riverside, California. Uh, how about one more on this Revelation th theme? One more. There we go. Yeah, that's, that is in Flint, Michigan. Very Pentecostal, I'm guessing. I'm just guessing. Divine Revelation. That's a heavy burden, right? Divine Revelations. Every service must just be, like, amazing, right? You've got to bat it out of the park. All right, how about a couple more? Here's, here's one. This is in uh, Tacoma, Washington. That is a church. That is a church. That church is dope. Um, all right. I will never use that combination of words again after this day. How about this next one? Yeah. That is a church. That is a Baptist church in Oklahoma. Yeah. I'm telling you, some of these surprise me. How about this next one? Yeah. There's actually a church in Dallas, Texas named Gateway, but we have one up in Scotts Valley too, right? Gateway Church, yeah. All right, one more. Huh? What do you think? No, that's a church, you guys. That is a church. Come on. All right, we just, all right we're down to the last couple here. One more. One more. There we go. That is a church. That is a church. Who is naming these things? We've got to write to these pastors and be like, what's, what's, what's the deal? All right, all right. So here's a bonus question. Who, who thought of this game? Was this Danny or me, huh? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for knowing me so well. Yeah, I, I, I went along with it. I'm, I'm a team player. Hey, so here's the thing. We are, we are living in a culture, in a world that looks for peace in all of the wrong places. All you have to do is just look out in the world and you see that. We're all looking for, and, and whether it's, you know, a leaf that you roll up and smoke or a pill or a bottle, um, you know, or a codependent relationship, people are starving for peace when you look around. It's, that is the cold reality of the world. And when we look at the scriptures, when we read the story of Jesus and his teaching and the teachings of his followers, what we see is that Jesus positions himself in sharp contrast to all of those counterfeits. He, he leaves no room to sit alongside of the other things that we do to seek peace. He wants to be our exclusive source of peace. You know, last week, if you were here, Tim gave just an excellent message about this. He talked about how peace is a person. It's a person. The Old Testament prophets referred to Jesus, the coming Messiah, as the Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, it's Char Shalom. Peace is the Hebrew word Shalom. And that word Char, we translate it into English as Prince, but it actually, it probably means something more like Captain. He's the Captain of Peace. He's in charge of peace. And we talked about how that peace is not the absence of storms, but the presence of God, right? 
Well, this week we're gonna we're gonna flip the coin over, and we're gonna look at the other side of that that contention that that peace is something that can be practiced. It's something that we can put into practice. Now, before before we get started, I just want to give a quick disclaimer. You know when you're watching like a movie on a streaming service like Netflix or something, before it starts, there's a little disclaimer at the top left corner. Sometimes it'll say something like, this movie you're about to watch has like strobe light effects and it can affect some people negatively, that kind of thing, right? You know, it always gives a little... I want to give my own disclaimer, which is, um, is it that today we're going to be talking about real things. We're going to be talking about anxiety and depression a little bit and some issues of mental health and for some people that's very close to where they live in fact probably a lot of people you know um, a few years ago there was a, a u.s census that um, released the survey information that said that one in five americans uh, admitted to struggling with some mental health issues and as someone who pastors people i can tell you that the reason that number is so low is because the other four just didn't fill out the census. They just threw it in the garbage like the rest of us, right? Uh, no, that's illegal. Don't do that. You've got to fill out the census. You've got to send it in. Um, but I want to encourage you that if you, if you have experienced some of these things, that you're not alone. You are you're not alone. And you should let yourself off the hook for feeling any shame about that today because um, you're in good company. You know, for the last, in fact, here's a way that you can let yourself off the hook. This is something I think about sometimes, is that for the last six to 10,000 years of human history, cultural and technological progress has moved along at roughly the same speed, which is to say, slow, right? And human beings, we've adapted to those changes. So the world changes and we adapt. Human beings were designed to adapt. We adapt to our environment. We adapt to changes in um, societal changes and technological changes, and we do it very, very well. But for probably the first time in human history, when you look around, the last 100 years or so, especially the last 40, um, technological and societal changes are moving at, at what? An exponential rate. We cannot adapt fast enough. We have not adapted to the world that we live in. You were born into a world that you are unprepared for. Almost overnight, we, are, we have to deal with the reality that every person on the planet with a Wi-Fi connection or a smartphone has some kind of access to you. That is a brand new thing. We are simply not prepared for this reality. I, I mean, it's a miracle. When you think about it, it's a miracle that any one of us is even here today and not like at home, <laughs> laying in bed, lacking the mental and emotional strength to get out of bed. Um, so give yourself a pass, all right? So we're going to... We're going to talk about these things, and uh, if you were here last week, you probably remember G um, Tim told a Jesus story um, about the time that him and his friends went out onto the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember this? They went out onto the Sea of Galilee, and what happened? Something happened. There was a storm, right? And, you know, this story occurs in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and I read all three of them this week, um, and when you read these, it's kind of like, you know, when I was in college, I remember this one time, I, I was at work, and I came home, and my roommates, there were three guys came right, met me at the door and said, oh, Chris, we got to tell you this story, right? And they told me this hilarious story. I'll tell it to you another time. But, but each one took a turn, and they were telling me this story. Now, their information that each one presented didn't contradict the other person. It just added and enhanced. So if you read Matthew's version and Mark's version and Luke's version, there's different details. Like, for example, Mark leaves in the detail that Jesus was sleeping on a pillow. 
in the boat. I, I don't know if it was like Mark's special pillow, and he just like, he, you know, he's like, eh, Jesus was sleeping on my pillow, and it's kind of a thing. I don't know. But they each present different details in the story. But here's a detail that all of them leave out. Okay, there's a detail to this story. I don't know if you know this, but there's a detail that all of them leave out. And, and there might be a good reason for that. It might be that you know, all three of them were writing to a local audience, so some things were just assumed. Like, I assume you know this, so I'm going to leave this out of the story. And here's the detail. In fact, I brought with, you, with me a picture. This is, uh, this is the Sea of Galilee. I took that photo when I went to Israel a couple years ago. That's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I'm standing on the shore there in Capernaum, looking across, and there's, that's actually Jordan now, uh, the country of Jordan, across on the other side. Um, but here's the thing, is locally, at that time, when Jesus and his friends would have been out on that body of water, there was a great deal of superstition. In fact, it was very common in that day for people to ascribe everything to some kind of spiritual um, uh, happening. So if you had a toothache or there was a lightning strike, you know, it was a demon or an angel or a ghost or some kind of spiritual monster. In fact, this uh, body of water, one of the features is that it, it, it's in kind of this bowl-shaped uh, terrain, and when the wind comes, it comes really fast. So when storms come on, it can go from this to violently surging waves very, very quickly. And so locally, people thought that was odd, so they believed that sea monsters lived under the water. It was a very common belief. In fact, the, the local people that fished that body of water were terrified of sea monsters. No one had ever seen one, but they ascribed this occurrence to that. So that's the detail, right? So let's look at this story one more time, but with that detail in our mind. So what happens? They go, they go out. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. The storm kicks up. The disciples are afraid, right? They see things that are, they don't understand why it's happening. So in their mind, they've decided that it's happening because of sea monsters, right? And the storm kicks up and they say, they wake Jesus up and they say, Lord, save us, we're going to drown, right? And what does he tell them when he gets up? I'm going to read, this is from Matthew's version of it, Matthew chapter 8. He gets up and he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He wants to hear it. He wants to confront their fear, the thing that they're afraid of. You of little faith. It sounds harsh, doesn't it, the way he says that? You of little faith. It sounds like a critique. And part of that is because the way we hear and interpret the word faith. We think of faith, it, the faith gets handed to us, this word, this idea of faith in our culture, or especially Christian culture, as th this idea that uh, it's thought of as a, a value or a, uh, uh, something impressive. If you can believe things that are seemingly impossible, you must have great faith. But that's not what this word means. Faith is the Greek word pistos. It means to be uh, persuaded needs to be persuaded by something that is persuasive. So he says, you have little, limited, you have limited persuasion. You don't have all the information, is what he's saying. You don't have all of the information. You see a storm, you lack the detail of, uh, you know, how storms are formed and the, you know, the, the way the terrain affects the, the weather, and you've put together this mythology about monsters. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? I wanted to show you another picture. This is a picture of the ISS. That's not a 
terrorist group. That's the International Space Station right there. There it is. I really love this particular picture because you can see the, what shape is the Earth there? What shape is that, that planet? Huh? It seems to be round, doesn't it? Uh, a few weeks ago, I met some friends up in the city, and I had a conversation with a couple guys that I didn't know. We were sitting around dinner, and it came to light that one of the guys there uh, was a flat earther. And he talked at great length about his flat earth beliefs with much detail. He was quite persuaded. And I was quiet. And then he turned to me, yeah, he turned to me and said, what do you think? I said, and in my head, I said, I think that you just made it into my next sermon, my friend. Um, <laughs> and we talked. We had a conversation. And, um, you know, the thing is, is the world is scary and complicated, and it's, it's big. It's bigger than us, and we can't possibly have all the information to explain everything that we see and hear. And then we have this new feature in our culture and in our society where we have all this information that's available to us. So if you, if you hear an idea, someone says to you, hey, maybe the earth is actually flat. Maybe there's a giant conspiracy of people trying to keep you from knowing that the world is actually flat. And you go over to your internet browser or your social media and you start to look. Well, those things have been tailored to things that you've looked at before. So, if you have a predilection for believing crazy things and you go to look, you're going to see more crazy things pop up, right? That's how it works. Did you know that's how that works, right? If you like sports and you go look on the internet, you're going to see sports things. That's how it works, okay? But if you have a tendency to believe outlandish things, you're going to see more of that. And you're going to find five other people that believe those same things. And in your head, you're going to go, aha, it's true because other people believe it, right? When we look out the world and we see these big, scary, complicated things, and we ascribe a big, scary, complicated solution to them, a, a reasoning, a cause, that's called proportion bias. It's kind of like when Kennedy was assassinated. He was assassinated by a lone gunman, a man named Lee Harvey Oswald. I went to the book repository in Dallas, Texas when I was there. I wanted to see it. I w there's a museum there now. You can see it. And I went up, and I stood at the window, and I looked out where the president was, his motorcade was going and the shot was taken and I thought, I mean, yeah, that's kind of a shot, but you know, it's not that far, it's not that big a deal. But in the psyche of America, nothing like that had ever happened before. So of course there must be some kind of mysterious cause and there, and there come the, the conspiracy theories, right? It was, the, it was the government, it was the CIA, it was on. You know, we have to, we want to create meaning because it's so hard to just say, I don't know why that happened. But what Jesus is bringing us to a place, us to a place is, is saying exactly that. He's bringing us to a place where we can say, God, I don't, have, I don't have all the information. You have a better perspective than I do. I, and when, when I lean on my own understanding and I try to build a framework of belief that's not based on the way reality is presented to me, I become a person of little faith. I become a person of limited belief. There's another story in Matthew. This is six chapters on in Matthew chapter 14. It also involves that same body of water and Jesus doing something miraculous. 
You might know this one. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Now, that, that uh, sea is five miles across, so I don't know how far across the boat was, but we're probably talking miles, not hundreds of feet, right? The boat was being buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. Here they are again. They're in the boat. Here come the waves, except this time Jesus is not in the boat with them. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Yep, you heard that right. He went for a stroll on the surface of the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Listen to what they say. It's a ghost, they said. And Jesus said, seriously? <laughs> like, you've seen me do matter multiplication. I turned loaves of fishes into a bunch more loaves. Of I've raised the dead. I controlled the elements six chapters ago, and now you see me just strolling on the water, and you say, it's a ghost. This is how we are. This is how broken we are, right? They cried out in fear, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, don't be afraid. Peter, <laughs> Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Who else would it be, right? Is there someone else doing stuff like this? He says, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said, and Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. This is what happens, right? We, we see Jesus. We see the truth of he, who he is. We're compelled to follow him, and yet, and yet, we still see the storm, right? When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out. This is going to sound familiar, what he says, he cried out, Lord, save me. That's what they said before, right? Six chapters ago, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. Listen to what he says. You of little faith, why did you doubt? We've been here before, right? We did this once before. Then they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. You know, I brought up the flat earth thing because I think collectively we can all agree that seems like a, an absurd belief, but we're not immune to absurd beliefs. Here's a picture of me and my kids. This is from a few years ago. Um, they're quite a bit older now. I'm the same age here, I'm, I, I, but they're older. Mm -hmm. Yep, there's me juggling kids. This is the version of me I like to keep in my head, you know? like. I'm a dad, but I got this, you know? Like, I got this. I, I love my kids. I love being a dad. And it's part of the definition of who I am to be there for them, to protect them, to be present, to enjoy their presence, and for them to enjoy my presence. That's all true. That's all true. And that's, that's what I want you to believe about me, is this right here. But let me show you this picture of Yoda real quick. Read that meme there. Because that's also true about me, right? 
you know, the first version of me, I can't be that all the time. That's what I found out as being a parent. You can't be the best version of yourself all the time. It's impossible. But here's, here's the absurd proposition that lives down deep in the wiring in my head, which is that when I feel this way, when I feel this way, I'm failing as a father. When I'm tired and I can't be 100%, when I come home and I, I, I don't have any more than 20% to give to my family, then I'm a failure as a father, right? That's not any more untrue than the flat earth thing. See what I'm talking about? But I believe it because it's buried down deep in the wiring of my head. And it's, it's something that I've embraced because I, like you and like me and like the guy I was talking to about the flat earth thing, we're all vulnerable to bad ideas. Bad ideas all have a beginning. They all start in places like that. Let me read to you from Philippians chapter 4. So this is the Apostle Paul speaking to what we're talking about right here. And he speaks with great authority. He says this in Ephesians, or sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That word gentleness, we translate it as gentleness. It's a Greek word. It means your, your equitable, reasonable, moderate behavior. Okay? It's not just about being physically gentle. It's about being reasonable and rational. If we are reasonable human beings, if we are moderate in our thinking, and in that way we're not drawn to the most extremes, the most polarized versions of ourselves and of society, then let people see it. Let's, let people see us be reasonable and rational. He says, the Lord is near. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So he says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray. Thanks, Paul. Okay, I didn't realize that was the whole thing. I, now I don't have to be anxious. I can just not be anxious and instead pray. Thanks, Paul. You just really broke it down. I guess we're done for the day, right? Don't feel guilt when you read that, okay? This is an ideal. He's setting up an ideal. Now he's going to tell you how to get there, okay? Don't be anxious. That's impossible, by the way. Okay, we all feel anxious. We all feel anxiety. Years ago, I remember being at work and feeling like this is several years ago, I had this moment where I felt like, have you ever experienced tunnel vision? You know, where the world just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And I, I had this sensation where sound was just getting like farther and farther away. And I was having trouble breathing and I couldn't collect my thoughts. And I didn't know what happened. I thought I had a medical event. <laughs> and uh, I went home and it wasn't until years later I realized, oh, that, that's anxiety. I was having a panic attack is what that was, right? Have you ever experienced anything even remotely like that? Yeah. You're in good company. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray, right? Center yourself on the truth of who God is. And he says, and the peace, the shalom of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to address this here because he, he's giving us this idea, this tool, and he says both hearts and minds. I think a lot of times we spend 
the bulk of our time as human beings if we're trying to improve ourselves or think about God improving, working on us. We, we talk about our hearts all the time. Our hearts are the center of our focus because we think our hearts are where the only place we experience trauma you know, or disappointment. When we, when we experience love or loss, where do you feel those things? Right here, right? In your heart. When we experience uh, sorrow or, or, um, or shame or disappointment or hurt, those are all right here, right? But something is also happening in your thoughts. And Paul's saying, do not neglect. Do not neglect your thoughts. He says, the peace that transcends all understanding. So let's go back to the boat for a second, right? The, the disciples had no knowledge of the causes of meteorology meteorological events, right? They just didn't, they lacked the information, so they filled in the gaps with sea monsters. That sounds silly to us, but we do exactly the same thing, right? There are things that we just don't know. We just don't know, and we fill in the gaps with absurd propositions. If I can't be a perfect father all the time, then I'm a failure. That's absurd, right? But we give ourselves over to these horrible beliefs about ourselves, about the world, about the way things work. I met with a guy a few weeks ago, and we took a walk, and he told me, he said, I, I think that when I'm not present, all the people I know are always talking about me all the time. I thought, what a horrible thing to believe. First, because it's not true, but second, what a burden that is, Right? The peace of God, which transcends the things that you can know, which is limited, will guard not just your heart, but your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, now he gives us a roadmap. Check this out. Whatever is true, okay? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about those things. Put your mind on those things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Do you want the God of peace to be with you in your hearts and your minds? I want to leave you with this observation about this passage. Four things about peace, okay? Peace can be acquired it can be cultivated, it can be kept, and it should be shared, right? It can be acquired. Did you know peace can be acquired? You can go out and you can get it. The problem is we go looking for it in the wrong places. But God has scattered around his good universe. He's scattered around little oasis, little spaces of peace that exist in the complexity and the danger of the world around them. Look at the beginning of the Bible. At the very beginning, there's a book called Genesis, and there's a story there. And where does it take place? Where does it take place? In a garden, in a place of peace, a little oasis. And these little places of peace are not, are not often places. They're things that we create. I want to show you a picture of my uh, guitar and my pedal board for a second here. There it is. So this is one of these places for me. This is my happy place. So that is my American-made Fender Telecaster right there that my wife strongly encouraged me to purchase for myself. I wouldn't have done it on my own. 
but she talked me into it. And these are the pedal board, these are all the guitar effect pedals that I talked her into buying for myself because I convinced her that I need them. So I make all kinds of sounds with this setup right here. And sometimes I come down here when none of you are here, late at night or during the day, whenever, and I, make, and I turn it up to 11 and I go to my happy place. You should do that sometimes too. I don't do it enough. Peace can be acquired and he's given us the tools to acquire it. Peace can be cultivated. Think of the garden. You know, we have a garden at home in our backyard and it's very sad. It's not a, it's not a good garden. It's, it's a bad garden. We, um, and, but we're working on it, right? I mean, we're gonna get better. We, we, planted, <laughs> we planted things and then we discovered that the, the um, squirrels, that that is their world and that we just visit it sometimes, but they live there and they destroyed all of our, they ate everything. And then the weeds came and now it's a weed garden. It's like, it, it's overgrown with green things that are not edible. And this is what happens in our thoughts. You can't help how you feel. Things just make you feel how, they, how, how you feel. But you can help what develops from those feelings. God has given you the ability to do something about that. In the garden that exists inside of you, things happen. And it's your job to then cultivate. And some of that cultivation is pruning. It's pruning out the bad thoughts. When I hear that message in my head, that if you're not here, 100% you're a failure, I have to prune that thought. I have to do that. I have to do something about it. And he's given me the tools to do it. Another tool that I would suggest to you is that when something happens that is hard to rationalize, hard to explain, maybe it's someone's behavior or maybe it's just something you see in the, in the world, use this tool. I don't know why that happened. And that's okay. It's okay if you don't know why that happened because that's human. Peace can be kept. It can be kept. It's a very human mistake to think that Everything important must be held on to really tightly. And we think this about peace. I've got to hold on to this moment. I've got to hold on to this thing because it feels like peace. In fact, it's the reverse. God is calling us to live like this, with open hands. I, I was never really very good at sports, but I did play uh, Little League for one year when I was little. Uh, I don't know, maybe eight, nine, ten years old, whatever age you are when you play at Little League. It was horrible, awful in every way. Um, part of it was nobody really wanted to teach kids that were not good at sports how to be better at sports. They just wanted the good kids to play all the time, right? So I was always just thrust into the outfield. Well, this, I, but they had to play me when it was time to bat, right? You, you, there's a batting order, you just have to go through the order. This one game in particular, and I always struck out. I always either struck out or I got walked. Never, never hit the ball. But what happened was this one particular game, somehow the order just fell in such a way where it was actually important what I did when I got to the plate. There was like two players uh, on base or you know, something, some scenario where it was important, right? So the, the coach is like shouting instructions from the dugout. He, normally he couldn't care less. It was like, just strike out Chris and move on, right? Uh, he's shouting instructions. And I remember him shouting, choke up on the bat, choke up on the bat. I had no idea what that meant. I... <laughs> I thought it meant hold the batter bat tighter, right? Hold on. So I was, I'm like, 
for the love of God, man, I'm holding it as tight as I can. I'm like looking at my knuckles. I'm like, what are you seeing that I'm not? He's still screaming, choke up on the bat. I'm like, I, I, this is all of my strength right now. And so I thought maybe it means to slide further down towards the knob at the end, right? So I, I work my hands until they're all the way at the very end. This is a, Steve Buffington knows this. This is exactly the opposite, actually, of what you're supposed to do with a baseball bat. I'm holding it at the very, very end as tight as I can. And by some horrible twist of fate, I swung the bat and I connected with a, a very fast fastball. If you don't know what happens when you're holding a bat like that and you connect with a very fast fastball, it felt like I got hit by a truck. It felt like a bolt of lightning went down my arms. It hurt a lot. I, I was like, ah, oh, you know? I kind of went, I don't know now what happens. I'm in a lot of pain. We do that in life, though. We hold on to things so tightly because we think that's what's going to keep them. Peace is the opposite. When we hold on to th things loosely and lightly and we keep our hands open, that's when we feel peace. Jesus said it like this. He said in John chapter 14, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, but I don't give as the world gives. These are not gifts that need to be held on tightly. They're gifts that we then need to turn and share. And that's my last point, is peace should be shared. We are his ambassadors. If there's going to be peace in this world, it's going to get there because we carry it there with us. So we better learn how to carry it. This is a beautiful piece of poetry that comes from Isaiah. It says, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. It's a beautiful picture of God's peace inhabiting his people and then being brought to the world that needs it most. You might be saying right now, you might be saying, I'm so far away from being able to help other people, I, I can't even help myself. I, I, I understand that. I, I want to leave you with one last picture, and we're going to be done here. This is a picture. Um, this is actually not me, but this could be me. I grew up fishing with my dad. I, um, he would take me fishing when I was really young, and and when I graduated from the type of reel that I called it a bullet spinning reel that had a cover over it to this kind of open spinning reel, I got, he got me a Shimano Ultralight. I was so excited because I had a spinning reel like he had. You know, It wasn't a little kid's pull. Here's the trouble with spinning, spinning reels, though, is you flip the guard over and you, you cast over the shoulder like this. And if you hesitate at all, if there's no confidence in your cast, what happens is the line will whip back, especially with really thin fishing line, like two pound test, and it snarls real fast like that. So I remember the first time fishing with this on a lake and I, I cast and it kind of snarled a little bit and he came over and he untangled it for me. And I, you know, I kind of practiced and I, you know, like I imagined in my mind how I was gonna do it and I flipped it over and it snarled again. And I started feeling really guilty after the third, fourth time because I thought my dad's spending all his time untangling my line <laughs> instead of fishing. He wants to fish, we both want to fish and he's just doing all this untangling. So I moved a little further away down the shore, you know. I kind of imagined it in my mind. And I whipped it as hard as I could, which is not what you want to do. And, I, and, it's, and just a massive snarl. And I thought, oh. I was so embarrassed. I thought, oh, I don't want him to see this. So I kind of turned my shoulder a little bit, you know. And I'm trying to work it, like untangle it the way I saw him do it. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It was too big and too complicated for me. And I looked over my shoulder to see if he saw, and he wasn't there. I thought, where did my dad go? And then all of a sudden his, you know, his arms came around from behind me. 
and he started untangling this snarl. And I watched as he did it, and he did it just one little knot at a time. And I think that's how God wants to untangle our snarl. One little knot at a time. So we're going to pray, and I would encourage you, you don't need to be fixed completely today. He doesn't have to untangle it all. But maybe there's one bad belief that's all snarled up in your thinking um, that, he, that you want to offer him today. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways to, you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.